know when I got saved. I don't know why this just came to my mind when I, when I got saved. I lived with a couple people and uh, they, they felt like I was trying to condemn them because I had taken in my little brother and he was like 14 and he lived with me and and uh, and I just asked him, I said, hey, you know, can you please not like do drugs in front of my brother? And uh, and and they said, basically, you know, well, we're just living, you know, as if I what I was doing was not living. You know, it's like we're just living our life. You know, we're actually living our life. And uh, you know what I was doing? What they didn't know I was doing was when I was in my room, I was really living because that's where the living one was for me was at my bed on my knees interceding for them and uh, the main one out of all of them his name was Tom yeah now Tom's kids names are Solomon and Hosanna because he didn't have a shot he didn't have a shot he didn't have a shot now he's actually living. Put down his pipe <laughs> and he found Jesus. So we're actually living. This is what living looks like. He's enjoying the living one. That's it. You don't feel life. It's just has to do with your awareness of the living one who is in all places at all times. It's just your ability to make yourself aware of where life really comes from and to turn and eat from that place amen so we're just practicing life getting ready getting ready amen amen you can take a seat we uh we're so glad you're here we we said in the last session we see the people coming from all over the place and, and uh, from cities all over, other states and other places. And uh, we just welcome you here. You're our brothers and our sisters, and we love you. You're our brothers and our sisters, and we love you. Some of you didn't know you had a redheaded brother. Yeah, you do. You do. We're glad you're here. Um, it's our uh, joy to have our next speaker uh, flying in from Atlanta right now, right? But technically, we got to get rid of that. Come out in the name. I'm just joking. Um, so um, he was yawning, for those of you. Um, but um, originally from Australia, been ministering from Germany for the last five years. Have a church there and a ministry that goes from nation to nation throughout Europe, filling stadiums. One of the... Um, you know, the, Europe is in, in, a, in a, a crisis of, of belief. You know, we're, we're, they've already abandoned, in a sense, um, the majority have abandoned Christ as the core of what truth is and picked up naturalism. And the process has been a long time. This didn't start yesterday. Um, but God, but God is not done. He is not finished. The last word has not been spoken for the people of Europe. 
and God is doing a great work through you and many others, and uh, it's a joy to have you here in Belfair, not Belfast, Belfair. <laughs> it's about, about as close as Belfast you can get, but uh, it's our honor to welcome you as our brother, as our speaker. Would you guys welcome Ben Fitzgerald? Thanks, Pastor Tom. Thank you. I just told Pastor Tom, I haven't, because uh, we've been traveling, I haven't slept the best the last few weeks. And sometimes um, I fall asleep in the boat, you know? <laughs> some of you missed that, some of you got that. Okay. <laughs> it's good if you fall asleep in the boat. Sometimes you wake up to Jesus walking toward you. I heard Bill Johnson say something about sleeping once. He said, because I actually, our team back in, in Germany, I teach them, I go, don't sit down in worship because in worship we're, we're feeding our king. I'm not being fed. You can sit down when you soak. But today I was like, oh, I'm just going to sit down for a little bit, Lord. <laughs> um, but I heard Bill Johnson say once, um, he said, we should never, never condemn a, a son for falling asleep in his father's arms. And I was like, I go, you said that better than I could have, Bill. Uh, how many of you, do you know who Bill Johnson is? Sometimes he says things, I'm like, wow. I'm just very freaked out by, by, by what he says. And um, I'm like, I like to know God like he does, you know. But I'm so honoured to be here. Thank you for having us in Belfair. Um, we've had a great time today uh, on the street. Nathan and I got some coffee and we shared the gospel with four or five people. It was fun. And um, it wasn't an outreach. Thanks for clapping, but it wasn't an outreach. It was just like having what you're having now, a coffee. I assume you're having a coffee. Praise the Lord. <coughs> what is it? Germany. It's a Germany coffee cup. That's amazing. That's no coincidence. Really? That's right where we live. We live 35 minutes from that coffee shop. Isn't that weird? That's kind of weird, bro. Hey, that's, I just have to, sorry to, we just have to have a personal moment here. Did, did someone give that to you today? Like, pick, just pull this. You didn't even mean that. That's crazy. Germany's kind of like a big country, you know? That's 35 minutes from where we live. I think that's pretty weird. All right, that's pretty cool. It just goes to show you. Coffee, revival in a cup. Nathan, I'm discipling you. I've been getting Nathan involved with coffee. All right. Um, can I move this a little bit? Or is there a camera somewhere? It's okay. Sweet. Oh, this is nice and light. Praise God. That's good. Because um, then I can, you know, hello. All right. King of glory, I thank you for the heartbeat of heaven. I thank you, Jesus, that you love the people that you died to save. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would help me. You communicate through me. And I thank you, Lord God, I pray that you would open our heart very, very wide to people, that we would see them the way you see them, that we'd um, so love the world that we'd give ourselves as you gave your son. And we praise you for Belfair, for this area, for these amazing leaders, and for all that you're doing in this community and beyond. And we ask you, Jesus, that all those people, as many as the Lord our God would call, as it says in Acts, would be drawn to you by the Spirit of the Lord who you want to save. We pray.
praise you, Father. The blood of your Son should receive its full reward. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. I attempt to articulate to you today what it means to really know Jesus' heart for people. Um, I was saved out of a very bad lifestyle, but I was really saved out of just, just being like a giant orphan, you know? My dad committed suicide. I left home. Um, I was a very, very uh, broken kid in Australia and um, very addicted kid after that. Not so much drug addicted, but just sex and all sorts of crazy stuff and living uh, as the world would, what MTV would say is freedom. Um, but I was in total bondage. I used to look in the mirror and just hated myself, you know? And, uh, and Jesus saved me at that time. And he didn't come and condemn me. James chapter 5 says the Lord does save with fire some and some with compassion. My mother, who was praying for me, she was saved with fire. Uh, a priest told her, and a, a Pentecostal priest told her that um, you're going to hell. Literally, he said those words to her. And he said to her, there's no hope for you. And my mom went away and she tried, that day, she tried to um, commit suicide because she thought that there was literally no way she could be changed and that she was living in such, um, you know, kind of like a conflict with God, which she was. And, uh, and so she decided, like, she's like, I can't be saved. And she kind of misunderstood the guy maybe a little bit, but what she knew is that she was so against the ways of God in such rebellion. And so she searched the scriptures for hours and hours every day to, until she found out that she could be born again. And the Bible talked to her and she got saved. And my mom was about 26. I remember she did her first 40-day fast while she worked full-time in a restaurant at 26 in that first year. Um, she went back to that Pentecostal uh, pastor guy and, and she walked in the door and he said, oh, thank, thank you, Lord. He goes, I'm so sorry. I, I was so strong with you, but God told me to say that sentence. And so some are saved by fire, you know, by the fear of the Lord. And uh, others are saved. It's all with love, you know, but others are saved by compassion. And my mom was, my mom was kind of in rebellion. So she was saved in a little bit of fire. And, but consequently, she became so radical and so filled with love and now she's a full-time evangelist. And, um, and I was saved, I'd say, with compassion. Uh, the Lord came to me, and the first revelation of God was compassion. I want to qualify this statement before I go any further. When the Lord brings His fear to somebody, it's filled with His love. Because when you realize, uh-oh, I'm in rebellion against God, why would He be lifting that veil? It's so He can free you. And that's what happened to my mama. You know, she got saved in fear of God, but she ended up like the love overwhelmed her and she became so in love with Jesus. She's one of the most in love with God people I've ever met. Um, so the fear of the Lord is actually like a magnet that draws us into the, the characteristics of his love. But sometimes we do need a bit of a shake-up, I'd say, and my mum definitely needed that. Uh, she was living with this guy and it just she knew about God. My mum was in a church while she was living with this guy, smoking weed, living a hippie lifestyle, and she was attending church. And she thought that that was okay with God. And how many of you understand that um, the Lord's not mocked? <laughs> Even in the New Testament, a lot of people would preach that you can, you can never lose your salvation or you can walk however you want. God just forgives you. Uh, that's not true. God isn't mocked. If you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you reap corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, from the Spirit you reap everlasting life. So my mom was sowing to the flesh and assuming that Jesus wouldn't care. And uh, this Pentecostal guy, preacher, priest who told her the truth and she was completely redeemed. 
Um, and so now she's uh, full of the Lord. But she prayed for me like crazy because I went far away after my dad's suicide. I was like the other way. And uh, how many of you understand, like I, I just want a show of hands because I travel around the world and I preach about this subject a lot. I'd say probably 30 to 40% of my preaching would be in, in this realm. Um, I want to see how many of you uh, had an experience or were saved in direct correlation to a praying mother. Watch this, ready? Watch everybody. Praying mother. You had a praying mum or a praying father or a praying relative. Put, look at that. Look at everyone's hands. Put your hand up high. Don't be ashamed. So there you have about 80% of the church, 75, 80%, who was saved through a praying mother or something like that. Listen, guys, if there is a mum praying for you, if you're sitting in here today and you don't know Jesus, you got your mum praying for you, God and her have a contract on your head. You're in trouble. You may as well just get saved because you're going to. You're on a collision course with Jesus, buddy. Um, and, and they are so committed, you know. Mums are like so gregarious. That they just, my mum, I, I tell people she's like a dog with a bone. She just does not let go of things. And, uh, and she doesn't let go of, she didn't let go of her three kids that were, that just ran far away from the Lord. And, uh, and she was a single mama, you know. But she just trusted the faithfulness of God. And so I met Jesus in a whirlwind of compassion while I was dealing ecstasy. And uh, the Spirit of the Lord gave me um, freedom inside and, uh, and gave me an, a kind of like a, a just, a norm, I'd say, normal hunger for the Scriptures. I think people lose their zeal after some years and then they think 30 minutes is normal. But I think hours just or constant reading where you, even if you don't have hours, you're always wanting to read the Scriptures. I had that normal Christian salvation where it was normal for me to eat the Word of God. And so I ate it, ate it, ate it, and, and, uh, and I learned some things from the Lord, about the Lord, and I just fell in love with Jesus, honestly. And uh, then I started to do what God had done for me. But what I want to propose to you and share to you today, um, it might not sound as spiritual as some things to you, but it, it, it's very, very important that you hear what I'm saying to you is not at all from a heart of condemnation. It's not at all from a heart of, I'm assuming you need to hear this because you're not doing anything. It's not at all from that place. But the Lord saved me and showed me what the gospel is. And, uh, and there's a whole side of loving Jesus that is wrapped up directly in the way we love people. And we must understand this because it's not just loving people here. The safest place on earth for us is in the church. And that's good. God puts no guilt on His presence. He loves His presence. Whenever we come before Him and we're joyful, the Lord loves it. Like we were cracking open the joy there. You know, I got that, that fountain flowing from Emmanuel's veins. It's just so precious. The Lord loves our joy. The Lord loves our liberation because that's why He died. But He didn't die to give that to us alone. He died so that we'd understand that this belongs to the world, that He died for the sins of the world. So when I share these statistics with you, when I share the Scriptures with you, because I'm going to let the Bible preach, this is a better preacher than anyone you'll meet. And I'm going to let the Word of God talk to you. But when I share what I'm sharing with you, it's a sobering reality, but it's an invitation from God to come into something in this hour that we most desperately need. Because I can tell you something, guys. I love conferences. I love all we do. I love even the stadiums we do. But even what we do, we're just a tiny little piece of the puzzle. We need so much more to happen in the earth and His blood was he paid for a lot more than what's happening now. And I've had conversations with theologians. I would consider myself a mini kind of theologian guy, not like these people. They have doctorates and they just, you know, they, all they do is try and figure out how to win the argument. But here's what I, I know. I've had conversations with people about Europe and they would tell me, they're like, 
because I moved there. God sent me from Bethel Church. I was in a thriving mega church. And God said, go to Europe and go to these little towns near Freiburg, you know? And I'm like, what am I doing here? Nathan's the same. And Nathan and I aren't really small town boys. You know, we like the big cities. We like to do other things, but, but it's, it's a call of the Lord. And so when I got there, I remember I had a conversation with a very, very intelligent man, theologian. And he said to me, I believe that sovereignly the Lord has moved possibly from Europe to Africa and now He's saving Africans. I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, I said, because I started to share with him things about Germany. For example, between the age of 16 and 30, 1% of people follow Jesus. 1%. That's 99% of the country. You can go down the street and walk past 99 people in a shopping mall and one of them knows God. That's insane. That's an absolute insanity in a Western country that was founded on Judeo-Christian Western values. You know, but it, it's absolutely crazy. But there's a reason for it. And this guy was trying to maybe convince me that it's sovereign. I said, well, if it's sovereign and God is moving over that nation, does that mean He's sovereignly taken the zeal out of my heart to love my neighbour? Has He sovereignly stopped being as compassionate to a German man as He is to an African man? Isn't He Hebrews 13.8 the same yesterday, today, forever? If it's sovereign, is it sovereign on God's end or have we made a willful sovereign choice as a church to close our heart and eyes to what the Lord sees? And, uh, and this is what I want to propose to you and probably this church here in Belfair because just spending some time with your pastors, they're amazing, they love the lost. But most of where I travel, there's this kind of epidemic that happens through us that we need to really catch the heart of Jesus for and, and, it's, and cure our own soul from this place of where a covering cast, like Isaiah 25 says, covers our heart where we don't see the love of God for people. And I want to tell you, that's, that is a living reality. And here's some statistics to prove it. The Barna Institute, who study churches, they're amazing what they do. They have studied, sadly, the Western church and particularly the United States, they found 96% of Christians do not lead a single soul to Jesus. 96%. They found, I think, around 9% or 11%, I can't remember, tithe. We're like, God, we're going to change the world. Well, 89% of us don't give God even 10%. because We're not going to change much. Oh God, I want a revival. 96% of people could cry out. I think they all have good hearts, they could say the words, they could maybe pray for it, but actually following Jesus' footsteps to the person. One of my biggest passions is that Christianity, Christendom, let's, actually, let's, these are two the heady terms, that my love for Jesus would not be in word. Let me explain this. I hear a song, you know, you are the miracle working God, whatever. Oh, God works miracles. I can say it, but I've seen no miracles. God is mighty to save. Amen, brother. I can say it. Even when we talk about intimacy with Jesus, it's easy to catch the popular vernacular. When Eric says it though, he's not talking vernacular. He's not talking words. He's, talking, he's breaking a piece off his life and giving it to you. Even if it's so deep and, and the way he speaks about it, it's so like, wow, he's breaking off a piece of his intimate walk with God. Well, sadly, what people do with that sometimes is they start talking intimacy, but they don't have the depth. 
Many people talk about saving the world and praying for the sick and seeing people saved and let's have a revival in Washington, but they don't participate and they don't walk where the feet of Jesus go. It's not that their heart's wrong. It's just that it's easy for us as Christians because what are we used to doing? You think about what we do. We tabernacle around two things. What are they? We tabernacle around the presence, right? And what else? Words. What did James say? Don't let a man so look in the mirror deceiving himself, saying this is what he is and yet not walk as he says. So my life and my responsibility is to sometimes take a step back and look at the ecosystem of my world to make sure that what I speak and what I even mentally or verbally agree with about Jesus, I'm, I'm living, you know? And one of these major pillars in the kingdom is the love for people. But 96% of Christians don't lead a single soul to Christ. They further deepened the study. The 4% that they found who were leading people to Jesus were saved for less than one year. What do you think that means? Exactly. They lose that zeal. So when I got saved, <laughs> no one told me. I wasn't, there's no YouTube then. You remember when we got saved? There's no YouTube. <laughs> there was no Christian vernacular to follow. There was no revival prayer meeting. I love those meetings, by the way, but I think we call out a lot for things that God's saying, yes, I'm ready to answer, and are you ready to follow? Can you imagine if Peter was like, when he saw Jesus, what did he do? His response to Jesus' glory was correct. What was it? We teased Peter for this, but his response was right. He goes, let us build three tabernacles here. What's his first response to seeing the glory of Jesus when his clothes turn white, Moses and Elijah come down on this mountain next to Jesus? First response, let's worship God. It's a great response. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm not a stationary God. Imagine if Peter had a, finally the day of Pentecost came, the upper room happens, the baptism happens. Oh, let's make a church here called the new upper room. Now, my friend has a church called Upper Room, so don't hear me wrong. My, he's a great friend of mine. Michael Miller is his name. He's wonderful. They have beautiful worship. But they also, you don't see it on the camera, they're also reaching Dallas. But imagine if Peter went, oh, this Upper Room, it's so holy. Let's come here every day. Let's worship the Lord here at this Upper Room. But that's not what he did with that flame, is it? What did he do? Who's the great high priest? Who's the deepest worshipper in the universe? King Jesus. What did he do? John 17 says this, I have glorified you by finishing the work that you gave me to do. A huge proportion of loving the Lord is following his heartbeat to what he wants you to do. All right, let's look at some scripture and that'll convince you better than I can. So. Oh man, let's, let's open... Um, the Bible. First of all, let's look at um, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to go through a lot of verses. Is that okay with you? Yeah. Good, because I, I just love the Scriptures, man. I feel like the Lord is returning the church to the simple tenets of faith. Don't you? That innocent, like, you just love your Bible and, you know, you love to preach the Gospel. So when I got saved, no one told me, preach the Gospel, except God. <laughs> and uh, it turns out God was, He was right. As usual. <laughs> Matthew 5, let's start at verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. I want you to say the word earth. earth. 
Very important word there that Jesus says. But if salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. I want you to say thrown out. Okay, two things we see in this verse. Where does the salt belong? In the earth. What happens if the salt loses its saltiness? Yeah, and trampled by men. Do you think a Christian would trample your walk with God? No. What happens is someone gets filled with the Spirit and they're called by Jesus here to take that salt and begin to see salt. What it does is it brings dead things to life. The meal, the, the flavour of something that doesn't taste good, it adds flavour. But also what it does is it actually calcifies things that are dead. It destroys stuff. It, it can sanctify something that's rotten. We're supposed to go into the world where the salt of the earth and go and live like Jesus, love on people. But if we don't do that and we stay only in the church and my heart is only just to be around God, but it's not to be around those that God is looking for, then what happens is it gets thrown out, which means it's outside now of the camp and it's trampled underfoot by who? Christians? No, it's trampled underfoot by men. What does that mean? It means a Christian that doesn't love the same way he did in that first year of salvation ultimately will cause people to believe Christians are hypocrites and the message will be trampled by the world because they'll think they don't really love me. They just care about Christian stuff. They don't really reach us. And so the message becomes trampled. And Jesus says here, you can't lose that salt. It's for the earth. It's not just for the church. Then He says, verse, thir- uh, verse 14, you are the light of the, say it with me, world. Light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Your life is a light bulb. It's like this, hey, it's supposed to look different. It's supposed to, what do people look at when they see a city on a hill? If they're in a valley and they see a city on a hill, what does that represent to them? It represents a place of freedom, represents a place of peace, represents a place of perspective and purpose and vision and life. A Christian who's filled with light feels that way. I have a friend of mine named Sharice. Every person, Spirit-filled, Baptist, whatever you, whatever denomination and non-believer that meets her wants to be friends with her. She's weird in some ways. She's got her own little personality traits. She can be too strong at times, whatever. She's a woman. She's a woman of God though. But, but Sharice carries a, a, she carries a love and a tangible light around her. There's a joy on her spirit. There's something different on her face. Heidi Baker's the same. I know Heidi very well personally. She's the scariest person I ever look at up close. I have coffee with her, sitting with her like this, and she's like, Ben, the Lord did. And I'm like, I'm just drinking the coffee. I'm like, that's amazing, Heidi, you know. And, and I feel like she's looks through, burning through my soul. Whenever I look at her, it's like looking through those, you know, the kaleidoscope things, and I just see Jesus' eyeballs looking right back at me. She is dead. But her face, I've literally sat with her, I'm like, her face looks like it's radiating. It's scary. (laughs) But she's light. Jesus did not come and say, look at this tabernacle in Jerusalem. Here is the place of our forefathers that Solomon had the wisdom to build out of the heart of David. Here is the history of our forefathers. He didn't go there and say, put a big seat up there for me now. I'll be here daily. Come and talk to me. What did he do? He went to Sumerian wells. He went to people that don't even know God. 
He went to places where light belonged, where there was great darkness. And He told us we're the same. Verse 15, He says, Nor do we light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a lampstand. What's a lampstand? A lampstand is something, again, that elevates the light, elevates the message. Our life has to elevate the message of Jesus. It has to be clear, in other words, to be seen by people. If there's nothing different about the person you work with, that's a problem. If you just slot on in and fit in and they can't sense there's a difference on you, something's not right. Let your light, verse 16, so shine before men. You ready? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I, um, <clears throat> we met some amazing people last night here at dinner. And I know, just listening to Pastor Tom, he said that he caught up with some guy who was um, Scuba, Scuba Steve. And he said he knew, Scuba Steve knew, about all these people now who are here in church and their story. They used to be drug addicts, now they're addicted to Jesus. They used to be filled with garbage. Now they're married, they're kids. They're, their life is full of fruit, full of life, you know? And they, they start to glorify God. Wow, this is amazing how this can, can be happening. Nathan just got off the phone from a guy that we, we saw saved a few weeks back in Germany. He, uh, he was kicked out of the United States. He's Italian by birth. He murdered a guy. He did 18 years prison in the US here, then extradited, and, uh, and he moved to a little German town to work. He has the blood guilt of an, a man on his life. Yeah, he did the time, but that doesn't make him forgiven in front of God. That's just a prison sentence. But God loves him, doesn't he? One of our little girls, you know, mid-20s, late-20s. He's in his 40s, I'd say. Late-40s, probably. She goes up to him on the street, preached the gospel to him. I think he liked her. He wanted to catch up. But after a while, it was salt and leaven and light that begin to affect him more than her good looks or more than the fact that she's a girl and single and nice and friendly. And after a while, the, that seed and that light and that, that salt begin to touch the dead parts of his soul. And I just heard Nathan when he was on the voice messages to him. I heard the guy say, he goes, Nathan, you have no idea, man. He goes, the last few weeks have been crazy, man. I went on the street with the team, with the awakening team. He's only been saved for half a, a minute, a buck and a minute, you know. He, he got in the street and he goes, it's crazy, man. I went in the street and he goes, and, and, I, and I went up to somebody and no one forced me to. I wanted to go up to somebody. And he goes, and I end up praying for someone. And he was so pumped. He goes, Nathan, I can't wait till you come back to Germany. I got to tell you about this stuff that's happening to me. He goes, I'm having visions, man. But... This is a murderer. This, is, this guy was a murderer who had the guilt and sin of murder still inside his heart only four weeks ago. But Jesus. But imagine Tara looked at his tattoo-covered body. Imagine in the first convo when she heard he's a murderer and in her heart she went, oh, that's not safe. Or you can only meet with us at church. I'm so thankful for people in our team, other guys like Nathan and others, who are like, Tara, bring a guy with you. 
But they did start going to have coffee and all our team talked about was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And behind closed doors, praying for his soul. Why? Because his soul is no different to yours. You might have grown up in church, you might have been faithful, you might have loved God and you might be amazing with God. But can you, guys, I cannot stand in front of the throne of God having withheld this message. How could I? (laughs) You have to forget the cross to live that way. Do you realise if you grew up in church, I want to I just sidestep a little here and just talk about what a radical testimony is. Do you realise if you grew up in church and you hated someone in your heart, you were unforgiving to your dad, you were bitter in your heart toward your mother because she took you to church, but you never went and did any big sins, do you realise that drove nails and ripped ribbons off the flesh of Jesus as much as a murderer? Those who have forgiven much will love much. When you feel the brushstroke of His redemption come over your soul and you realise, man, I didn't do the kind of thing that He did, but you know what? I remember being in church and being so judgmental. I remember thinking I was perfect. I had a conversation recently with somebody and they said that this is the first time in years I thought I was so perfect. And they begin to get into a relationship with another person and they realise that when they, the two of them begin to start dating, there, wasn't, there was things in them that were never touched by the insecurity because they're all alone and we're all perfect alone. But if you were to take everybody away, it would be just you alone under the cross and your unforgiveness would be more than enough to pierce the body of a perfect Messiah. We can't forget that because if we do, we forget what mercy feels like. If we forget what mercy feels like, we don't have mercy for others. We just enjoy God. It's not wrong. God doesn't guilt you for enjoying Him, but it is not truly selfless and it's not truly loving Him. And I can tell you why. Because 1 Timothy 2.4 says this, God desires that none should perish. If I found out Pastor Tom's biggest desire, he wants a motorbike. I don't know, maybe you do actually, but he doesn't. If he wants a Dodge Charger or something else, what would you like actually? You should say it because who knows what will happen here. <laughs> maybe he wants a certain type of car, but I'm really good friends with him and I know him and I know it's his, let's say it's his 50th, it's a really like a, a kind of regal birthday. It's kind of a milestone and I know that about him. And I've seen that he's been so faithful and he's always loving and pouring his life out to people. And I come to him and say, hey bro, I brought you a cat. Happy 50th birthday. I got you a cat. (laughs) Would I be a true friend? Would I be a real friend? No. Cat cat is probably, some of you are cat lovers. I'm not going to go down that road of who's is and isn't. Because there's a lot of women in this church too. And that scares me because some of them love cats. But do you hear what I'm saying? Okay, let me get back to the point. The point is this, if I know what He desires, what will I do as a friend? How do I express my love to Him? I understand what He wants. Okay, so think about this. God, happy birthday. Merry Christmas. Happy Easter, Jesus, for your death and resurrection. I'd like to give you a gift that you desire. What does He desire? I desire that none should perish. You see? Part of you loving God is loving what He loves. God loves you. He, you're a treasure to Him. He looks at you and He's like, I can't, I, He wants to kiss you. He flood, read Song of Solomon. He wants to be all over your life, like flooding you with joy, real peace, 
sustenance, places of grace that you've never known where you can walk down the street, you don't have to hang your head in shame and think God is five seconds away from condemning you all the time. But in the midst of that freedom, you start to think about your husband being so beautifully adorned as a bride. You begin to think, what would my husband want? The beginning command of God, be fruitful and multiply. The church loves the fruit of the Spirit. We are in the New Testament. We love the fruit that has been restored. The tree of life is now in you called the Holy Spirit. Now we don't have another tree to eat of. We don't have to eat any more of the good things. We can eat just the fruit of the Spirit. But the original mandate of God was be fruitful and multiply. I wanna propose to you, the Western church has taken the command and the grace and the desire to be fruitful very seriously, but not taken the command to multiply. But didn't Jesus restore it? Matthew 28, what did He say? If I knew Kevin and I were going to have our last conversation today and I was going to sit down with Kevin and say, Kevin, this is what God has told me. I know I'm going tomorrow. If I knew I was leaving, if I knew, I would say something that I want you to remember me by. And Jesus said, now go in my name. Make disciples of all these nations. Bring me children because the blood guilt and payment for their sin, it's been finished, it's completed. Bring me people. But what happens? A haze of familiarity, church life. Well, I love church life, but we cannot get used to this too much. I want you to be a Mary of Bethany. I wanna be a Mary. But how many times did Mary sit at his feet Let's say it was daily. What does that mean of her life? It means she would have had to get up and follow. Jesus didn't stay in the town where Lazarus was risen. He kept going. If you're going to be a Mary of Bethany, you need to minister to the desire of his feet. I say this to our team. I say, guys, we come to his feet to become his feet. That's our whole life. Like, my, my, my one and only goal in life is to please God. And how can I please Him? I can be a son who loves Him. The best thing you can give God is your affection. But once you've done that, He's going to fill you, isn't He? He's going to get inside you. Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach. And he said, not because I'm amazing, but he's like, God's inside me. It's hard for me to comprehend how 96% of people could not live that way. I'm not saying that I live perfectly that way. Please, please, I'd rather just kind of sit in the ground. This is not to you saying you haven't done enough. This is saying to you, don't let the enemy cop you out. Don't let the enemy take out the church. We live in an hour where people want to stand on virtues. I love that, but you should stand heavier. If you're going to stand anything, I don't want the vaccine. I know all that stuff. I've heard it all before. It's fine to have a mantle and a mandate of I'm standing for justice in this hour. These things are cool. But the Bible, Jesus didn't promise, hey, things are just going to get better. Did they get better for the disciples, the 12? Not really. Some people have this mantle, like mandate, like we just have to make the earth better. No, you have to make sure the earth finds the ark called Jesus. Find the King. 
If you're going to take a stance in life, I'm not taking the vaccine. My friend was leading the Chinese underground church. He's a very close friend and mentor to me. His name's Brother Yun. They call him the heavenly man. He lives in Germany now. He's there as a political refugee. He was leading 75 million people. 30,000 a week were being saved. He's been locked up. He's shown me, he lifts his legs. He shows me the scars from him being in prison. And he laughs. He says, I was so close to Jesus. He found out they're doing vaccines. He got both the, the stupid vaccines because he said, I must preach the Gospel. God will protect him. And it's not about vaccines, but what I'm trying to give you, the point is this. We get so caught up in Facebook wars. We get caught up in, in other things. We get distracted. We get, our multiplicity weakens us. And yet there's your brother who doesn't know Jesus, vaccine or no vaccine, could step into hell tomorrow. This is so important to God. It's really important to the Lord. If you don't believe it, find a mirror and then value your own importance of salvation. I say this to people. I go, if I gave you a billion dollars cash, would you hand me your salvation? Would you give it to me? I can strip it from you. You're headed to hell, but you'll have a billion dollars. Nobody would give me their salvation. Well, how can my salvation be of the utmost importance to me and yet in the priorities of my life and the way I live, it comes down last or second last or somewhere down here. I just enjoy my walk with God. I can't live that way anymore. Not out of guilt, but because I love Him. And because Jesus saved me, I'm like, you're mighty to save. I was a train wreck. If you can save me, you can touch somebody. You can touch murderous Mike. He's not murderous Mike anymore. Oh no, he's Mighty Mike. Some of you might have missed that. You remember that thing, Mighty Mouse? <laughs> anyway. My point is this, guys. The Gospel is everything to Jesus. He left heaven to be that way. When Moses was instructed in Exodus to write, Moses is the most humble man on earth. I used to wonder why would he say this? Moses was writing that. God told him to write it. Why was Moses so humble? Oh, because Moses, uh, you know, he, he was just humble. He, he, he was a very pious man. No, 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 no. Moses was called the most humble man who lived in the earth because he left a princely royal family where he was second in charge of the world as a prince and he came and lived with slaves. What is Moses? A type and shadow of Jesus who left the glory of heaven with his father, came in to live with slaves we get the ability to do the same. We can go, hey, we're royal sons. And then we go to a slave. Hey! Hey, slave! I know how you feel. Because I was in fetters too. It takes humility to love Jesus that way. Does this make sense to anyone? Sorry if it's so strong. I haven't been this strong in a while. Jeez, I don't know what's going on here. Must be. Usually I try and speak a bit more gentle, more superfluous, you know, deep voice and all that stuff. So, Okay, let's read some more Scripture. I, I gave you that First Timothy 2.4. This is a great one to meditate on. Actually, you can go from 2 down to 2 to 6. You can just read, read it. It's so wonderful. Psalm 51. David, he's in sin. The end of Psalm 51, we sing it. Keith Green used to sing it so beautifully. You ready? Restore unto me 
the joy of thy salvation, right? And renew a right spirit within me. Yes. Cast me not away from thy presence. Oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore, yes. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and renew a right spirit within me. When did David write that? When he sinned. What did he say? Make my spirit right with God. But he didn't end it there. What did he say right after that? This is so powerful. David, in the Old Testament, demonstrated Jesus' words. Those who have forgiven much will love much. David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Think about this as a king. And then he said, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall turn back to you. The joy of salvation wasn't just for David. He's like, God, if you save me, I will not shut my mouth about it. A king, not just a, not a person who has time to stop the car, but he made time. Psalm 71 says, David said, I will speak of your salvation and your righteousness all day long, for I do not know their limits. God is mighty to save. There's no one He can't save. See, the church sees people at levels and degrees of necessary closeness and got with God and, and needs to be saved this much and they're, they're so bad and they're this and that. No, 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 no. They're actually, in fact, some of the worst sinners are the ones closest and ready. Some of the guys who are the billionaire guys or hundred million dollars in the bank sitting there and he thinks he's so happy and he gets out of the car and he looks like your neighbour. He looks like a nice guy. Hello, Mrs. So-and-so. He seems like a good guy, but you don't see every night him watching porn and his broken marriage and all these things inside him that make him hate his life. About seven months, eight months ago, I went to a restaurant in Germany and a man was sitting there. He looked good and he works in this huge company near where we live called Roche, which is a, a massive uh, pharmaceutical company. They make all, they're as big as Procter & Gamble and all those different ones. They're huge. And I saw this guy, I didn't know he was sitting there doing, I, I just thought he's maybe on a lunch break or at the restaurant. And I got into my car about to get in. I just felt like I should just say something to this guy. He's literally sitting right in front of my car. And, uh, and he looked really good. And I said, hey, bro. I said, hey, excuse me. And I said in, in German, Entschuldigen Sie bitte. I said, hey, my name is Ben. I come aus Australien. My name is Ben. I come from Australia. And I said, you know, Entschuldigen means excuse me, like, sorry to interrupt. And I said, Jesus liebt dich. Jesus had ein großen Plan für dein Leben. You understood what I said, didn't you? Jesus has a great plan for your life. And then I go, and he goes, okay. And he goes, why are you saying that to me? I said, honestly, when I looked at you, I just felt this pull just to just tell you that one sentence. And I said, God is real, man. And he loves you. I get in my car and you know how you do this with you, when you get in your car, you put your phone here, you plug it in or you, whatever. It takes 30 seconds to get ready. And I hear this. He knocks on my window and I wind the window down and he looks good. I said, why? He, go, he said to me, why did you say that to me? I said, because it's the truth. 
And because Jesus knew you'd be here and my car would be here and God knows your name, he loves you and God has a plan for you. And he goes like this, he goes, you look good. He goes, do you know what I do? I said, what do you do? He goes, I work at the big pharmaceutical company. I make a lot of money. He goes, but the last two weeks I've been thinking about killing myself. (laughs) Was it fishing and film shilling? I said, don't do that, bro. Started texting him on WhatsApp. He wanted to know more because no one shared that with him before. It's not hard. It's just a step beyond convenience. But I've found that convenience will never give me what the fruit of that thing that I do in that moment gives me. The feeling of being satisfied by God in that moment, being with God, the feeling like Jesus is talking through me, that Jesus is touching somebody, that feeling is indescribable. We prayed, I think Nathan and I were on the street in Germany a few weeks back and we prayed for this young girl. There's four of them. She's like 15, something like that, 13 something. And, and she came over and, and we just prayed a tens. We said, can we pray for you? And they're like, pray. And they were doing some kind of thing for their school, looking for places in the city. And I said, yeah, let's pray. And, and we just prayed it literally a 10 second prayer. And I felt under her back as we prayed a brace. There was a brace there, you know? And her back in 10 seconds on fire. And she's like, oh my goodness. And the friends start touching it. Four people now are listening to the gospel because she's like, and their friend's like, oh, what the heck? It's her back was burning. The Lord began to just take all this pain out of her spine. You know how long it took us? It took us less time than it takes me to scroll through the feed of Instagram once. That's it. I looked at my thing on Instagram once. You spend one hour and a half a day on the thing, like or two hours, three hours. It's like, I'm like, sometimes I, I realise Like I wonder, Jesus, if you really are going to live in my body, what am I spending my time on? What am I doing? If you really are housed inside of me, what is my life about? And if I ask you this question, friends, who do you want to disciple you personally? Who is it? Jesus. Then you can't say I'm a worship leader anymore. You can have that grace but you can't get that, use that grace that God put on you to take away Jesus' heart and shut it down to all the people He leads you to daily. Or the unsaved workmate that you have at work, who you, He likes you, you like Him, you have a great relationship, but you're afraid to give Jesus to Him. It would be rebellion if a worship leader stood up here and said, let's worship, and half of us crossed our arms and we said, no, we're not called to worship lead. That's what we do though for the Gospel. Internally, we're like, that's not my calling. There's nowhere in the New Testament I found the word introvert or extrovert. (laughs) Nowhere. Sorry for being so passionate, but I need you to to really hear this. Guys, people are dropping into hell. Do you perceive it sometimes? If you never think of it, what does that say about your mind? It doesn't say you're evil. It doesn't say you're sinful. It doesn't say you're lazy. God doesn't want to condemn anybody. What it says though is this, <laughs> even in a town like this, in this little part here, maybe five and a half, five thousand people or so, right? Even in this right, right here, in this metroplex right here. Even though it's a bit slower than it is in Seattle, Christians still have their own vice. We don't go to the bar. We don't go shoot up crack cocaine when we leave church. 
You know what we do? We have our own vice and we even celebrate it. It's called busyness. We get busy. And we're busy doing the right things often, but there's no blood on the end of our sword. This thing right here, that is not the definition of Christian success. I would gladly give this up if God said to me, you can have a hundred million souls or a million or even half a million or even a hundred thousand if you never preach another pulpit again, but you can have a hundred thousand people that follow me and go to, from out of hell. I'll say, well, give it up right now. This is just, a, this is an honour and a privilege, but guys, Sunday Christianity, it's finished. It's over. I'm not saying don't go to church. I'm saying be more involved in church because you're bringing people to the King and you're serving here and you're living the Kingdom here as well. But it's not just Sunday and Wednesday anymore. This is a full contact 24-7 sport that we've got to be all involved in or not. And it's called the Gospel. And it's easy. It's not hard. All you have to do is step a little bit beyond your convenience, find one person that you love and start to say hello to them. Some people say to me, they're like, I'm not bold like you, Ben. And I'm like, that's not true. I saw you in the church cafe. You're like, excuse me, I said double shot latte. Thank you, thank you. You know, people tell me they're not bold. And then they also, in the same sentence, tell me how they love skydiving. They've got this great passion to skydive. They read books about it. They do blogs about it. They do vlogs about it. They wanna jump backwards out of the plane. I love skydiving. Have you ever skydived? And I'm like, you're converting me. You are preaching your gospel of passion to me. Girls the same. Oh, don't you love this Mac makeup? It is unreal. Mac is the best. No, 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 L'Oreal. No, you're gonna try L'Oreal because they have this eye shade thing that it works way better than Mac. Blah, blah, blah. And next minute, you've converted her. You've won her to L'Oreal. Every person talks about their passion. Is it not true? Oh, it's true. Well, guess what? When you're standing in line, yeah, I'll have a double shot latte and they give you a single. No, I think I ordered a double. The same mouth can say, by the way, Jesus loves you. It doesn't take a special person. It just takes a heart that steps beyond convenience. Don't get too comfortable here. Serve here. Come here to the worship nights. If I was in this church, I'd be here all the worship nights. But then I'd have to also think, okay, who is it in my world that I can bring to Jesus? Let's look at some more Scripture here. 1 Corinthians 9. Just tell me when I need to finish, Pastor. You just go like that and I'll know it's five minutes or whatever. Because I don't know what time this session ends. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 15. I'm going to blitz through five more verses. I'm not going to preach on them. And I just want you to read them with me. 1 Corinthians. Let's start actually um, at verse 14. 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Even so the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, but I've used none of these things. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better, you ready for this? Better for me to die than for me to make my boast void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? Oh, I love Paul. It's hard for me to not preach on this. Because Paul, he's like, my reward isn't what I get. He says now, my reward, that I may preach the gospel. 
He's not trying to get out of it. He's trying to get into it. Then he says that I may present the gospel without, of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. And here's the reason, that I might win more. His life was not just like, whoa, revelation, whoa, angels. He had all that. Encounters, whoa, he had it all. His life, I have it all and he's possessed me. So now I must give it all. Listen, if I had a circle and drew my circle around here and called it the intimacy between Jesus and I, nothing comes in there, not even a wife. Me and Jesus, the kisses I give him, the affection I give the Lord, the tears, the times He uplifts my head, the times He uplifts your head, the times He kisses you in your heart and breathes on you and reminds you how much your first love is valuable to Him, how He sees you still, how important you are to God. That circle that's drawn around you between you and Jesus is a sacred, sanctified, holy place. It belongs to no one except you in the bedroom. It's Matthew 6. It's you and your Father in the secret place. That's a holy, sanctified place. But you can't live there you can heart posture live there, but you can't 24-7 live there. you got to live with people. <laughs> so Paul said, and Paul was so close to Jesus. Rick Joyner, who saw heaven when he wrote the book, The Final Quest, said he saw in heaven the, Paul the Apostle. He said he saw thousands of other saints, but when he saw Paul, he said his face was glowing like ember colour. He said he was the most and closest in glory to Jesus in heaven. This man knew the Lord. If he walked in here, Eric and I would both sit down. We wouldn't preach another session. Hands down, deepest revelations, heavenly mysteries that can only be described, can hardly be fathomed through words. Deepest, closest to the Lord. And then he says this, I have that with God. And because I have that with God, I make myself a servant to all men so that I can win some. That was his posture of life. He goes on to the famous verse, you know it, it says this, to the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those under the law is one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but with the law of Christ toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all men, and he secondly, the second time he says it, so that I might by all means save some. This is profound. That's profound level of selflessness. Now here's the question. Do we all need to be like Paul and just be like on a full-time mission trip? Mm -mm. Some of you are mamas, <laughs> church pastors. Some of you are called to the fivefold grace of evangelist and others are called to an apostle. Others are called to be a prophet. Some are called to be a worship leader. But Paul was talking about a pillar in his heart, a DNA that was there. And the DNA is in all of you. And I can prove it to you in one second. Literally one statement will prove to you that the Lord wants to do out of you what he did through Paul. You ready? Put your hand up if God has ever stopped you, given you the impression, 
or told you to talk to someone about Jesus, ever. Look around. Pastor, congratulations, because you have 200 evangelists here. (laughs) Are you all evangelists? No. Yes. (laughs) You know my point though, right? Some of you are hairdressers. Why the heck is God talking like that then? He's stewarded you. He's, he's done what Paul said. He's entrusted you with his heart. I, I have to, Kevin, when I love God, there's a part of me that, that doesn't feel like I can, I can please him by just being a son. I get it. It's not guilt, but there's a part of me that feels like I, I must tell people because he wants to save them. Jesus has wept over that life of Mike. I'll tell you one thing that happened to me. I wouldn't say this at other churches, but because I know you guys love the supernatural, I'll say it here. I was praying for three days, hours a day in my bedroom in Australia, worshipping. My favourite thing to do, if I could have a choice of what I do daily, is worship. I was worshipping and I was in my bedroom soaking and just be like a sponge, you know, for the Lord. Day one, Pastor Tom, the Lord says to me, go to the Safeway supermarket. And he said, go there at 415 I had this impression in my spirit to do that. He said, go and tell people about me. Well, to be real with you, I, I was enjoying so much the glory in my bedroom and it was like hours and hours that I did not go and internally something in me resisted going because to, just to be real, it doesn't always feel fun when you rock up and go, hey, stranger. It's not always fun, but it's a step beyond convenience for the sake of an eternal soul. So day two, I start worshipping again. Love you, Lord. Love you. Again, three, four hours. Just, just getting, I'm getting baked, just grilled on both sides by the Lord. I'm, just, I'm getting so filled with Jesus. I'm enjoying it. Now I'm hardening my conscience a little though because I remember what he said, but I'm not doing it again. Day three, I'm worshipping, not in my room now. I was worshipping in the lounge room area. And I see this huge angel and another one behind him. I see a quick flash, like vision of an angel. But the angel was looking at me like this, with like, like this weird look. And I, and I was like, thank you, Jesus. I'm two, three hours in. And I see this, I'm thank you, Lord. And I'm like, whoa. In my, and, and I see this look, angry. And I was like, thank you, Lord. And I was like, what's going on here? You know? And he said, the Lord spoke clear as day. Now, I didn't see it with my audible eyes. It was like, a, you know, when you have a mind's eye vision, you know it, it's so more true than if you saw it with your eyes. And I, and I knew there was two of them standing there. And he said, Ben, I said, that angel God looks angry. And he said, they have been waiting for three days for you to obey my voice and go to Safeway and preach the gospel. And they're frustrated. It's not kidding. That's what he told me. So you know what I did? Stop worshipping that minute. I'm like, we're going to Safeway. (laughs) Now, I didn't say to the angels, hop in the car. I didn't do any of that stuff. I'm not being a weirdo. That doesn't happen to me often. No, I'm I'm serious. Some people are like, well, there's an angel on the top of my roof. Oh, you know, some people get so crazy. They're like, they see angels and demons in everything. Now, I don't. I just see worship Jesus, love someone. But I was being a little rebellious. And the angel was mad. So I went to, to the uh, shopping centre. Sure enough, there's a guy, a drug addicted guy. The, God, the Lord just smashed him with his love. God was trying to get me there. Paul said, I don't serve my own will. I serve what serves God. So that if by any means, someone can see Jesus. 
It's not a hard life. All you need to do is find one person who works at the cafe, stop and go coffee or whatever that one is. There's only like two here. And, or the other one, Michelle's, I think. Stop at Michelle's and you see this young girl, she's 22 years old, and you go, oh, thank you so much. This is a great coffee. You guys make great coffees. Hey, are you from here? Yeah, I'm from here. What do you do? I'm trying to study this, this and that the other day. And then you see her two days later. Hey, it's me again. My name's, you know, Sarah. What's your name? Oh, my name's Susie. Blah, blah, blah. Cool. Hey, I grew up here. Oh, no kidding. My sister grew up on that street. Oh, nice. Do you, do you ever go bowling? Do you do anything around here? Yeah, yeah, I go, go maybe you, you and I should catch up sometime. Go for a coffee. It's not hard. Then they're like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, add me on Insta, add me here. It's, it's easy nowadays. We have no excuse anymore. Paul had to write letters and hope a reply came. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. But, but that's so simple. But what stops us from doing it? It's not what, it's who. It's the enemy. He doesn't care if we enjoy being Christian. He cares if we multiply. He doesn't care at all. Why do you think he tried to kill everyone? Kill Peter, kill Paul. What were they? They were multiplying machines. Everywhere they went, people just kept getting saved. Get rid of them. That way we can stop the church. My favourite ministry you, you probably love these guys too, Pastor Tom. In the last hundred years, they're the only ministry I have seen that have seen the book of Acts lived out in a country, in the West. In China it's happened, Africa. Maybe God sovereignly is doing that though. <laughs> it's not sovereign. It's called the Salvation Army. Think of this statement I'm about to make to you. In three years, three years, 243,000 people were saved. 243,000 in the West. That's crazy. That is nuts. Well, I studied them. What was so different about them? When someone would get saved, the only thing that they were really taught to do other than love God was go and love someone as you have been loved. Find somebody. The leader said, many will fall away. Some will be saved, some will not. But he said, but for the some, using the same word Paul did, that I might save some, for the some it's worth it. So they weren't 96% not telling people or not living the gospel. They were the other way. They were like 80% of them would lead people to Jesus. Three years in England, this general, General William Booth, he grew an army. It went all over the world, went to 101 countries or something. And it was so prolific that millions were saved. Well, when he finished his life, they asked him, what do you want to say as a final statement? about your life before you graduate to the throne room of heaven where General Booth would have had many, many friends because he shared Jesus with them. What do you want to say? He wrote this prolific, historic word that when you think about his life is earth-shaking. When you think about his life, it's literally not a piece of his body. It's Jesus in, as the head doing the thinking through him and him being the whole body. He wrote the word others. That was his life. 
We are crying out in the Western church, God, send the move of God. And we should keep crying out. But heaven has a cry that cries back. Matthew 28, keep sharing the Word of God. Heaven has a cry, who will go for me? Isaiah 6. Who will reveal and declare my generation that the blood has been paid for sin? Isaiah 6, here I am, Lord, send me. People tell me, they go, but if I pray and get in the glory, the end result will be that I will share the Gospel. No, how many of you understand that Jesus is not robotic? Jesus doesn't say, if you pray, the end result is this. He says this to you. He says, open every part of your heart. I know people that pray hours a day and they will not see a soul saved because they consider themselves to have done their job by telling God what to do. When the Lord has asked us, is all the responsibility on the church? No, but I'll tell you how I'd run a church. I know exactly what I'd do. I'd say all of us now, tag, you're it. Jesus rose, you're it. And you're filled with light. You're filled with salt. Now bring people. And my intercessors group, I'd go weekly to them. Here's the 50 names. Pray for every one of them to be saved. Thank you for praying for politics and government. Be led by the Spirit. But first, these 50 people in our city, get them, Jesus. Because I can't take politics to heaven. I can't take a vaccine, no vaccine mandate from one or the other. I can't take it to heaven. But I can take you. You can take me. And thus is the passion of the Christ. Described in Luke 19 when it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. The words seek and lost are so deep in the Greek. It means the Son of Man came to crave you. Oh, I craved that man. I craved him in his sin. I knew what I could do. I craved after him. And the word lost in the Greek means to be destroyed. The Son of Man came to crave for people and seek the thing inside them. It had destroyed their life. He came to seek destroyed people to make them free people. That's the heartbeat of heaven. That's part of Jesus that we cannot miss. We can never forsake. In fact, we must carry it fully as a church. Let Him do the thinking. You be the body that shines bright. Let Him be the head. Three more scriptures and I'm going to pray. You ready? Let's go to Acts chapter 20. We're going to flick through these scriptures really quick. Acts chapter 20, verse 24. We'll read it all together really fast. Let's start at verse 23. Except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, here's a good prophetic word for you, saying that chains and tribulations await me. (laughs) Thank you, Holy Spirit. (laughs) Dankeschön, as we say in Germany. Verse 24, though, Paul says, None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You received a ministry, guys. Your ministry is open your mouth. Your ministry is testify. Your ministry is salt, light, leaven in the world. Your ministry is people. Let's flick over to chapter 22. Go to chapter 22. 
Go to, uh, sorry, chapter 22. The last one was chapter 24, ver- uh, sorry, chapter 20, verse 24 to 26. This is now Acts 22, verse 8. So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, who are you persecuting? Those who were with me indeed saw the light and they were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And he said this, Arise and go into Damascus. There you'll be told the things which you are appointed to do. Why is that so important? Because Jesus, the second He met Jesus, He went, Paul, you are now mine, but I have a purpose. Did you catch that? When you got saved, your purpose was more than just, I'm going to love God. He's like, no, 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 no. You're going to show everybody who God is. Stay in the same chapter. Go down to verse, uh, yeah, verse 21. It says, And he said to me, Depart, for I'll send you far, far from here to the Gentiles. So Paul's first commissioning was, I love you, Paul. I'm going to save you, Paul. But now I'm going to send you, Paul. Let's look at one more about Paul. Verse chapter 26, verse 14. Thank you for the man who is controlling the Scriptures. Whoever he is, he's amazing. You're putting them on the screen. Bless him. 26 verse 14, when he had fallen to the ground, he's, this is the same account, I heard a voice and it said to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know what the word goads means? There's two translations, priests and pricks. When you prick something, prick of the conscience, Paul was hurting people, pulling Christians, putting them in prison and the Holy Spirit pricking him. Something doesn't feel right about what I'm doing but he kept kicking against the pricks. How many of you have been at the shopping centre and God loves you, there's no guilt in this, but you're there and God says, talk to that woman. You go, which woman? And he goes, that woman. And you're like, which one? And he goes, that girl. And you're like, oh, it's too late now, Lord. You know, it's true, huh? True? Yeah. Or your heart's beating like this. What are you afraid of? Just go, I want these chips. I want this water. Jesus loves you. Just remember, it's very simple. But Paul was kicking against these and this is what the Lord said to him. Verse 15, so I said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus who you're persecuting, but rise and stand to your feet for I've appeared to you again for this purpose. This is the purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things that you've seen and that which what, what I shall do. He said to Paul immediately. He didn't say, Paul, in four years, you tell someone about me. He said, now. But what was the difference between me and Paul? Why am I so familiar with people in the world and Paul was so zealous to make them see the Lord? What was the difference? The difference was that he understood he'd been forgiven so much that then he threw everything away. He said, now Jesus, I owe you my witness. I love you too much. You are too good. Everything else is dung, Philippians. Everything else is garbage compared to what I've seen in you. How could I withhold this from my unsaved brother? Two more verses. Not really, there's 18 more. First Peter 3.15. And then I'll, I really will finish. Most preachers, when they say I've finished with this point, are lying to you. They have many points up the sleeve. <laughs> But we really will just read these two more and then I'll finish, okay? Yeah, 1 Peter 
You ready? But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defence to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. Always be ready. Do you think the American church or the German church is always ready to give a witness of what God has done in them? If there weren't people like the Barnard group, I'd probably say yes, but when I go to Germany, people tell us, you guys are amazing. When you do like an awakening night, you have three, 400 people there. This is revival. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, the biggest, the average church size in Germany is less than 100. So it's like a big deal if 100 people show up, let alone if someone gets born again. What does this say? What is heaven crying out? Heaven's crying out, guys, the harvest is truly ripe because Satan has convinced people that Jesus is a dead religion. But you can show them he's a living light. He's a real God. He has power to heal. He can change a murderer and make him a a beautiful man. He can do anything for anybody as long as your heart is seeing them. I'll read this one to you. You can put it up if you want. Amazing man of God. Leviticus 19.33. Let's look at this together. This is really crazy, this scripture. This is Old Testament gospel. Leviticus 19.33. Now. (laughs) Here we go, here we go. Father, I declare. <laughs> you know what people do with conferences where they go to and something doesn't work? They're like, it's a deep, we bind that techno- technology demon. We bind you. It's usually not a demon. It's usually <laughs> like the scripture that can't be pulled up yet or something. You know. Oh, did you sense that? I saw one camera went out. Well, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. You ready? You're going to have to go to the next part. Read it with me. You ready? If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. The stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you. Oh boy. Someone comes in. How you doing, buddy? How you doing? In Australia, they go, how you doing, mate? Doing good? Yeah, mate, I had the best effing weekend I've ever had, effing this, effing that. And you're like, and they're wearing a Metallica t-shirt with blood coming out, some crazy looking thing. And all your religious buttons are going off. (laughs) Right? I've had people, I've prayed from the front row and they've gone, wow, mate, yeah. Wow, I feel heat going through me back, mate, yeah? Australians. And they go, mate, this is effing awesome. (laughs) And I feel like the Lord inside me laughing because they don't know what they're saying. They're a baby Christian. Oh, listen, in here, please don't use it. We are so religious sometimes. But it says, when they come to you, a stranger, a foreigner, they don't get the ways of God. Treat them like they are your born natives. Give them a bit of space, time and freedom to see the King. Next part, it says this. Keep that one up there though. No, no, sorry. Next part of the verse I meant. So sorry. Very good. You shall love him as you love yourself. 
Do you recall anybody saying something like that? Love your neighbour as you. Right. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. What is He trying to say? Don't you remember the cross that I paid for you? Do you remember when you were a slave? Did you forget you were a slave? Are you just now a Christian? Paul said, I live with the death and resurrection of Christ in my body. Why? Because he wanted to know the cost. I'm risen, I'm free, no more guilt, but I remember what my freedom costs. So when someone comes into my land, my world, I see what God could do because I was once a slave. That's the Old Testament Gospel. And he says that this is our posture and heart mandate toward the world. So before I pray, I wanna ask you this question. Who came to your mind as I was preaching? What unsaved friend in your town right here do you know that needs Jesus? Oh, but you have no idea. He's on heroin now. He is now. But he might be up here in a year preaching to you. You don't know. Who came to your mind? And if there's no one, God can easily point someone out for you. (laughs) Once you find that person, this is not what you have to do. You don't have to go, hello, Bradford, Bradford. Hey, Bradford, you're not saved? I came back from a conference. I I heard you're not saved. Come come with me, come with me. Come on, sit down, sit down, Bradford, sit down. Come with me, Bradford, sit down, sit down. How you been? Good, you've been drinking a lot. I can smell it. Okay, here you go. Okay. Bradford, Bradford, listen, bro, you've got to get saved. You've got to get saved, okay? Okay, I, I just fire and passion. No, it's not about that. You sit with Bradford. How you doing, man? You doing good? And he's like, my life sucks. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, and you're sitting there and you're being pastor. You're pastor John now. And then Bradford, oh, bro, I hear you, man. I hear you. What'd you do on the weekend? Oh, I went out to a rave and I did all this stuff. And, you, and he goes, what about you? What'd you do? You go, I went to church, man. It was amazing. The Lord's really pouring special, something special at our church. I just feel so much love from God. And I'm like, okay. And it's just, you're being normal not a weirdo, and he lights up a cigarette and you don't go, (coughs) you know? You just sit there with him, love on him. And then you say, Bradford, so good seeing you, bro. I love you, man. It's great hanging out. Love you so much, right? Oh, wait, it's not finished, yeah. And and then you drop Bradford home. Hey, bro, I'll text you this week. We should hang out. You want to play football? You want to throw some gridiron, whatever? Or we should go out and play some pool. All right, sweet. See you, Bradford. And then you go home. You go home. You didn't preach the full counsel of God yet but you do this. You do what my mama and what your mama did. You put Bradford's picture on your phone or you put his name on your fridge when he comes around. What's my name doing on your fridge? Every time I get a piece of food, Bradford, I think about you. I bless you. And you say, Father, I thank you for Bradford. It takes 30 seconds, 40 seconds a day. Father, I bind him to the cross of Calvary. Get him, Jesus. 1 John says, if you pray according to his will, we have the answer to our prayer. He says, if you ask, you shall receive. There's nothing more great in the will of God apart from exalting and glorifying Jesus than saving those he paid blood to save. He will answer that prayer. I tested it. I put 10 names, 10 friends in my first year of salvation on one page. Guess how many received the Lord in 365 days? 10. How many followed the Lord? Four. Six fell away. Four stayed with God. Was it worth it for the four? One of the four got married, had kids. Now it's not four anymore. See, sometimes when you pull someone out of hell by your prayers and then you invite Bradford, let's go play pool again. And then Bradford loves being around you because he feels salty. And your prayers are affecting him. He doesn't know it, but you know it. 
And he wants to hang with you again. Nathan just had another guy ring him. He met him on the street today in the car. The guy just rings him randomly as we're getting in the car from Germany. He met him one time, but Nathan had some kind of an effect on that man that he wanted to call him from Germany. He doesn't know him. And he's like, can we hang out? And they're not going to hang out. Nathan's not going to be, listen, bro, you need to be saved. Okay, now, listen, idiot. He's not going to do that. He'll probably go, what are you up to, bro? What do you think? And he'd go, I love rap. Me too, man. Let me show you some Lecrae or whatever. There'll be some way that they meet each other. But when Nathan leaves him, I know what he'll do. Come here, Nathan. Show him your book, bro. Show him your journal. Show him your phone. Show him your phone. Show him your iPad, wherever it is. Show him. Come here. Come on stage. I'm just going to turn your... Can you see that? Where the dots begin, they're all names. Uh-oh. Sergey, Marcel, Blitz, Harry, Tia, Leon and Carl, Afra, Osman, Giovanni, Sebastian, the police officer. <laughs> Sam, Samra, Meshin, Leon, Ahmad, Anna, Wolfgang, Katerina, the receptionist from Frankfurt, Hami, the homeless guy I met in FFM. 25 minutes, we got, talked with him and got a burger with him. One Marco, the Italian guy that I checked out at the grocery store with, Yolanda came late and she said, I know the Lord's gonna use that man somehow. Mike, the guy watching the video on evangelism that I walked past and I felt so strongly to talk to. Hashe, the Belgium guy who has a printing boarding, printed boarding pass that I bumped into. Stefan, Nazar, Frank, Jason, Rashid, Jeremy, Nina. I mean, it goes down and down. There is exactly... Oh my goodness, bro, far out. There's 280 names. That means, that this, this means this, that 280 times there's been a, at least an encounter. But what he's doing is, out of those 280, probably about 50 of them, I'm not even kidding, he's in communication with. And probably five of them he can personally go and meet with. That's a lot of people. <laughs> I'm not asking you to do, I'm not, I don't want to do what he does. It's too much. <laughs> but heaven doesn't say it's too much. Start with one. And then I take Bradford out again. Bradford, come over for dinner, bro. A couple of my Christian friends have come around. We sing a bit of worship stuff. Oh, I'm not into that. Go, come over, bro. It'll be weird. You'll enjoy it. You can pick on us. Just be normal. <laughs> Let him come in there and sit there and just be like this and go. And then all of a sudden, this presence of God touches him. And all of a sudden, he's like, and next week, can I come again? Yeah. He comes, that's exactly what we're seeing. And then you take it to the intercessors. Hello, here's four people, pray like crazy for them. Yes, we will. He's mighty to save. You cannot touch a higher echelon of the will of God for the earth. Would you stand please? Sorry, Nathan, you just lost your reward, but it's my fault you did. <laughs> I didn't mean to put him on the spot. And please don't hear that in condemnation. Don't be like 280, even I feel bad reading him. I'm like, that's a lot. I might only have three or four that I'm just working on, you know? But we're meant to be light and salt in the earth. So God gave me boldness to do this. Would you like me to pray that God may impart to you boldness? R Romans 1.11 says that God can do that. Would you promise the Lord, not me, in your own soul, that you will find one person here? Just one, just one. Start with one. And just start praying. You don't have to get them saved in three, three minutes. Just start praying for them daily. 
Because Jesus wants that person. He wants your unsaved brother so bad. I feel there's some mothers here that God's like, I'm seeing your prayers. You've been praying for the last three years and that kid is still backslidden. God's like, don't worry. I'm watching him like a hawk. Keep praying. So Father in heaven, we exalt your gospel. Your cross paid for more than the 96%. Your cross paid for all. You desire that none should perish and we desire to bring you, Lord, what your heart wants. So Father in heaven, we pray that you would do this in Belfair. Do this in Belfair and beyond. This building will not be even close to big enough because the Lord wants to save and He's mighty to save. I pray right now against the fear of man. I bind any spirit of the fear of human opinion. I bind anything inside people or anything oppressing people that makes them afraid to talk about Jesus. Anything that makes them distracted from praying for one or two people. I command that distracting force to get out now in the authority of the Name of Jesus. And Lord God Almighty, would You impart right now the grace You've given me, the grace You've given Nathan, that boldness, God, to win someone to Jesus, to bring someone into the loving arms of our Heavenly Father. So Father, I pray, show them a face. Right now, would you show them a face? Give them a name. Someone they know or someone they're going to know. And I'm going to ask the Lord to tell me a few of those names that He showed you just to confirm to you that heaven is listening. I just brought Nathan on the stage, but somebody, one of you knows a person called Nathan God wants to save. There's a Nathan. There's a Samuel. Sam. There's a Candace or Candy or something. Any of these names make sense? Who's Candy? It's your, your mom? Praise the Lord. Who's Sam? Candice as well? Candy and Candice. Who's Sam? Sam, Sam, Sam. There was a Nathan. I heard Nathan. It's you? Nathan, awesome. Father, show us more. See, God is listening to you right now. God, before His throne, He's taking up those names. There's a, a, a Jeff or George, an old... Is it you, George? And is there a Jeff? Yes, up the back. So Jeff and George, and they're right next to each other, these women. Thank you, my King. He's listening, my Lord. We ask you for their soul. We bind them to the cross of Calvary, Jesus. Get them, Lord, get them and get us into their world. Set up divine appointments. Make it easy for us to get into their world. Sarah. Someone's praying for Sarah. Who's that? It's you. Your daughter? Get her, Jesus. We bind Sarah to the cross of Calvary. We thank You for her soul. My Lord, we pray that You would send other believers to her. Get her, Jesus. Haunt her with the Holy Spirit. Thank You, my King. Someone here, they have like a, Someone's praying for someone who has like a weird name, like the person's Polish or something, or like Polish or Czech Republican. They're American, but they're like Polish background. 
I don't know, I just saw that. Who is that? It's like someone who's not American, but they're like Polish or, or Czech Republic or Russian or something. You're praying for a person. You? You as well? What's the name? Sergey. You? And Anatoly. Thank you, my King. There's a James or a David James or James David or something. James, but with David, I don't know who that is, but James David or David James. Father, we thank You for that person. We thank You for that David, Lord. We bind them to the cross of Calvary. And Father God, we ask You to grant us the ability by grace to commit to one or two from this day forward even if it's just one or two, that we catch up once a week, once every fortnight with them. Thank You, my King. I'm gonna ask for even some last names of people you're praying for, because I want you to be so thoroughly convinced. I can't hear your prayer. I want you to be convinced that heaven is listening. I, I mentioned Heidi Baker's name before. I believe that someone's got someone praying for someone with a baker or something, uh, their last name, or maybe they are a baker. I don't know, but I heard Baker just then. Is there anybody praying for someone with Baker? Yes? What's their last name? He's a baker. Eric the baker. You? She works as a baker. Her name is Sarah. Wonderful. Anybody else? Anderson. Anderson? Who's that? One of your friends, what's her name? Bryce Anderson, praise the Lord. See, God is listening. If you would see that He's like that daily with you when you bind them to the cross of Calvary. Daily, when you pray for Bryce, save him, Jesus, save Bryce. Is it maybe there's a coal or something, coal, colt or something, coal or colt? I don't know. Yes? Your brother's your brother-in-law, what's his name? Colton. Thank you, my Lord, for Colton's soul. Thank you, Father. We lift all these people before your throne, Jesus. We thank you for their lives, God. We bless their lives, my King. We pray, Father in heaven, today as a church, as a community, even those who are not in this church, Father, I pray that You would bless this amazing church with the ability to be so fruitful that they don't know what to do with it, but also to multiply. Multiply, bring in the sons of God, bring in those daughters that You wanna save, Jesus. Bring them, Father in heaven. Thank You for Michelle. I keep hearing more names. Thank You, King of heaven. Someone's praying for somebody who's a lawnmower or landscaper. They work with like lawn stuff, cutting people's things. They're praying for that person. Is that you? Yes. You're praying for your neighbour and he's a lawnmower? He's a handyman. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we ask you to save them. Okay, so today, my Lord, I ask you, remind every person, remind them when they're home today in the, in the break, put someone in your phone or write them on your fridge or a picture somewhere where you will not forget because we are prone to busyness. 
In Jesus' mighty name, I want you just to pray now. I'm not going to lead you, but let's pray for the next 30 seconds to a minute. Let's just bind them to the cross. Here's a prayer I often pray. I say, God, make the ways of sin feel empty to them. Even if they're getting more money, better job, make it feel empty to them. Just begin to pray for them, guys. Put it on your lips. Put their name on your lips. Feel free to pray out loud. Come on, guys, let's just pray. We need the spirit of prayer in the church strongly in our individual lives. Thank you, Lord God. Save Dustin, Jesus. I bind it to the cross of Calvary, Lord. I pray that Dustin would not be able to shake the feeling of need for you. God, I ask you all these worldly pursuits that he has. I pray, God, that you would cause that to feel empty inside Dustin's heart. Lord Jesus, save Dustin. Save him, King of glory. Save him, King of glory. Thank you, my Lord. Say, someone's praying for like a McCartney or McCartney. Someone's praying for someone's name, McCarthy or McCartney. Father, save that person. Save them, McCartney. Thank you, Lord. Webster. Someone's web, name's Webster. Pray, save Webster, God. Save the person who has the name Webster. Come on, just pray. Keep praying. If it's 30 seconds, once or twice a day, you watch what changes. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, Lord God. People are good at soaking prayer, but when it comes to praying for the lost, oh, the enemy hates it, man. He hates it. He hates it. He'll resist you doing it. But you, you won't fall for that. You just keep doing it. Keep praying for them right now. Just ask Jesus for their soul. Ask Jesus that He would save their soul because He wants to. Thank you, Father. We bind them to the cross of Calvary. Get them, Jesus. Send angels to their life, Lord. Father, I pray that circumstances would happen where they have to see you. Save them, God. We ask you for their soul. Thank you, my King. You are mighty to save. Open our heart, Lord. Rip the veil off our heart, God. Thank you for Bryce, God. We ask you for Bryce's salvation. Thank you, my King. Praise the Lord. The Lord's going to do a powerful miracle right now. Thank you, Lord. We agree. And we, God, we just ask You to help us to keep our commitment. Help us to keep our eye on the lost like Your eyes on the lost, you know? In Jesus' mighty Name, and everybody said, before I finish, there's someone here who has an incurable disease. The Lord showed me. The Lord's going to heal you. I can feel such a weight of His power, not my own anointing feeling. I can sense the Lord has marked out this weekend to heal you. There's someone here, you have a very uh, incurable disease. Maybe it's with the bones or something or, or your bones or your blood. 
um, what is it? Breast cancer or something? Lupus. Okay. Does that affect the muscles? Okay. It's incurable. Okay. We're going to pray for you. Is there somebody else too? Yes. Meniers. Meniers. Okay. Meniers. We're going to pray for you as well. Is there somebody else too? Is there uh, someone with something with the bones or the blood that's like really serious too? Yes, my friend. The old man up here. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm a bit younger. What's going on, my friend? Polyneuropathy. What does that affect? Your bones. Yes. The Lord is going to do a profound miracle today for all three of you, I believe, because if He heals one, it's the same bread, it's the same healing life. Would you three please come to the front? Is that okay? Would you come with your wives if you want to come with your wives? And Nathan and Pastor, we can all pray, I guess, can't we? Yeah. But you know, the Lord told me that today, especially I saw the bones. It, what about you, sir? Is there something going on with you? No, Are you, this is your husband. That's your dad. Praise the Lord. Your son just got saved five minutes ago. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. He has the best name, Bradford. That's where Smith Wigglesworth lived. Do you know that? Yeah, it's the name of the town. Okay. We're going to pray. Guys, I want you to stretch out your hands because we, we ask the Lord. I love how you said it this morning, Pastor Tom. You said we beseech Him for His mercy. And uh, we pray for His mercy. Hold this. Thank you.